0: writers, welcome back to Story Magic, the podcast that will help you write a book you're damn proud of. I'm Tiffany. And I'm Rachel. And today we're going to talk about the art of self-editing. We have a very special co-host with us today. We are joined by Tiffany Grimes from Virgin Design and Editorial to talk about self-editing. This is a great topic. Um, I'm so glad that you brought it to us, Tiffany, and thank you again for co-hosting with me while Emily is out on maternity leave. It's going to be such a fun discussion. Um, Before we jump in, can you tell us about you and why we're going to talk about this today?
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm the founder of Virgin Design and Editorial, and I'm on a mission to amplify marginalized voices through unflinching and inclusive book coaching and design. Not only have I worked with hundreds of writers on everything from character motivation to deepening themes, working through mindset blocks, plotting, and more, but I'm a writer too. I write messy queer characters who take up space, get in trouble, and are already out. I've got an MFA in writing, crave stories that delve into the deepest truths, and am obsessed with my cats.
0: I love it. So you're like pretty badass is what you're saying. You're Basically. You're like a pretty awesome person. So cool. I love it. Um, so what? why self-editing? What brought you to this topic and what brought you to – I know we're going to talk about a little course that you have, Sneak Peek, but um, what brought you to editing in general and self-editing? So
1: I actually hate drafting. and <laughs> <laughs> but- The editing part is my favorite. Uh, To the point where I will like avoid drafting as much as possible. Um, And yeah, I just really love helping everybody else create amazing books. And it's just my absolute favorite part of the process.
0: Yeah. Do you think that – edit? so I I talk with a lot of editors, obviously, like yourself and like Mm -hmm. Lewis and Emily and all of our other guests that we've had on the podcast. Um, I feel as though many of us don't like drafting and much prefer editing. (laughs) What do you think? Do you think that's true? Just like anecdotally, uh, anecdotally, the editors just tend to like editing better.
1: (laughs) It's probably true. I know that a lot of editors aren't actually writers like we are. Uh, So obviously, they don't really like the drafting part. But yeah, I mean, the rewriting part is where all the magic happens anyway. So it's just the most fun (laughs) I love it. So I, I've been complaining about
0: this actually recently because um, I've been in revisions for my own work in progress. And in the middle of them, I like hated it. I I love editing other people's work 100%. I love my job. I love book coaching. I love everything that I do. I hated editing this last job. And I was um, – we have – we use that hashtag like revisions are where the magic happens. And I was complaining about it so much that I started a um, contrarian hashtag. Um, publish first drafts. <laughs>
1: That's just so over. Oh overt. my gosh! Please don't publish first drafts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> publish first drafts. Um, but I did. I did all the edits. I completed them, and then I read the draft, like the second draft, as as it was finished. And it really was like, this is where the magic happened. Like the, all of that hard work, I did not love doing it on my own page, but it brought out such a cool version of like, it was so much closer to my vision. It was beautiful. I was so proud of it when I was done. I read it and I was like, damn, this is a book. Look at me. I did it. (laughs) Um, So proud of you. I know. And it, it all came though from, Editing myself, self-editing it, and I didn't love it while I did it. But when it was done, I could see, I could see the light. I could see the beauty. (laughs) Love that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I think that's uh, though, like, if you've ever listeners, if you've ever felt in that zone of like, I hate this, um, and not quite sure how to bring the magic through, like, that's basically the art. That is the art of self-editing is weaving that magic through those drafted pages and bringing, um, bringing them to life in a much more real way. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So in self-editing, um, what do you see? Like, let's just jump right in. So I have a couple questions for you. I'm really excited to go into this because when I think of self-editing, I actually think of you and the teaching that you have. Um, I, I love all of your direction in this topic. Um, so what do you see as like – some common missteps that authors take while self-editing, maybe practically mindset-wise, just in general, like what are some hurdles and then how do we start to sidestep them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The most common mistake that I see, and I'm sure you see this a lot too, is We get to the end of the manuscript, we type the end, we have our little celebratory dance, and then we just jump right back in page one and we start to tweak the sentences and the grammar and the spelling. And that's not editing. Yeah. I mean, it it is editing, but it's not the type of editing that's going to make your book better. Mm -hmm. So uh, what we want to do, since that's so counterproductive, making the sentences prettier at this stage, it doesn't really do anything because we might have to cut whole scenes and chapters when we get further into it, um, or if we're stubborn, we hold on to them for a really, really long time until the last possible moment it happens. (laughs) But what we want to do is we want to begin with a holistic assessment of the entire manuscript. If you want to think of this as like giving yourself an editorial letter, you can totally think of it that way. But we want to make sure that our characters are well-developed and that they change over the course of the manuscript and that they have agency and things aren't just happening to them. They're not just wandering around for 250 pages. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure that our plot and our setting fit the actual story that we're trying to tell and we didn't just fall into them. And then, yeah, we want to make sure that we are actually creating a book that fits our genre and our audience expectations and whatnot. So when we're drafting, we're totally allowed to forget all the rules and just write. But when we're editing, we have to puzzle the story together. So it seems like everything was intentional the entire time. This is where you start to ask yourself, what did I make? How can I make it better? And really tie everything together in a way that feels very intentional and like you knew what you were doing the whole time, even though you probably had no clue when you sat down to write what you were even writing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I always struggle with at that stage is overwhelm of Mm -hmm. reading through that manuscript, seeing everything that I want to change, knowing that like, oh, it's not, I really want to get those sentences great, but I can't yet. I have all these other things to do first. How do you coach your students to work through that overwhelm or avoid it or like put things in their proper place to kind of manage this process?
1: Yeah. I have like several things that we can talk about with us. So I love that you asked this. Um, but the first thing that you're going to do is take a break. And I know that this is like the most cliche advice that you can get because everybody says it, but how many people actually take a break? take the break. (laughs) You have to give yourself time away from the manuscript so that you get that emotional distance and you can see your manuscript with fresh eyes. I know that we have deadlines and everything, so maybe the break is very short. But if you can give yourself a couple weeks at the least, like that would be the best possible thing. Mm -hmm. And then approach your draft with a mindset of improvement, not one of fault finding. Mm -hmm. If you're reading your draft, like, oh my God, this is the worst thing I've ever read in my entire life. You're not really going to have the ability to create change, meaningful change in your manuscript. You're just going to be like, how come this is not as good as that book I just finished reading that was already published and has won awards and (laughs) your first draft should not be compared to published books. Yeah. And so, yeah. And then just setting realistic expectations. Like the average writer takes 10 drafts to complete their novel before it's ready to publish. And that's an average. So you could be more than that. You could be less than that. I take around like 10 drafts myself um, so, just like understanding that multiple rounds of editing are often required to produce a, a polished manuscript is is very helpful with kind of setting expectations. Yeah. And then to kind of make the process less overwhelming, I have a little like process that I've created. Um, I teach this in Revision Alchemy, my self-editing course. But basically, what you want to do is read the entire manuscript, like in one sitting, if you can. And you want to try to read as a reader, not as a writer. And if you can read it on an iPad or a Kindle or something that you can't literally get in there and start making changes, you are just reading it. And you're treating it as though this is a book that you picked up off the shelf, like it's already published. And that way, you know, you're tricking your brain. You're like, okay, We're going to approach this like a reader, and we're going to note our emotional reactions, places where we're bored, confused, pleasantly surprised. One thing to note is that I used to think that what I wrote was boring because I had read it too many times, but I rewatch and reread things so many times, and I'm still obsessed with them each time, so that's not true. My stuff is just boring when I feel (laughs) like it's boring, so don't trick yourself and be like, oh, it's only boring because I've read it a thousand times. And then you want to go through and list out the things that are working well. This might be like, I have a really engaging opening, strong character development, killer chemistry between the love interest and the main character. Praise yourself all over the place. We have a negativity bias where we will kind of hone in on all the negative things and Mm -hmm. forget the positives. So you need to remind yourself what's actually working so that you're not changing those for the detriment of the book later on. Yeah. And then you can list the areas that need improvement. Technically, you're doing them at the same time. But this might be like the pacing is kind of off Where my character is literally just roaming around aimlessly for six chapters in a row. Like kind of need to work on that. Yeah. The dialogue could be a little stronger. Everybody sounds the same. Um, and you might even get really specific. Like the main character's hobby doesn't make sense for this book. So like I need to change that. The dog's name changes four times. Yeah. (laughs) Anything like that, right? And then we're going to create a revision planner checklist. And I think that this is like the ultimate key to help overwhelm. Yeah. And I break this down. I created three stages, conceptual revisions, structural revisions, and stylistic revisions, because not everything has equal importance and should be created equal. You're going to want to pull the things out that have a massive snowball effect on the rest of the manuscript Mm -hmm. and focus on those first. So if we kind of think about revisions like building a house, the conceptual revisions are the blueprint. Mm -hmm. And these are things like audience and genre conventions, tone and mood, narrative distance, the narrator and point of view that you choose to tell the story in. And then the structural revisions are the frame of the house, the drywall, the windows, the roof. These are things like plot and structure, character and point of view, world building and setting, and conflict and stakes. These are still pretty big picture ideas, but we need to know the other things first before we can change these and mm-hmm. like make sure they're working. And then our stylistic revisions are the decorations, the furnishings, the vibes. Think of what makes a house a home. And this is showing and telling, pacing and tension, authorial voice and character voice, and basically the language, the the kind of what makes a f- story feel like a story. And so when we follow this framework, we can focus on the editing process in a really systematic way. And then we get to check things off as we go. Because when we're revising, we can't use word count or anything mm-hmm. tangible. So this like lets us literally go through, feel accomplished every time we check something off. And uh, the best advice I ever... Had gotten <laughs> received <laughs> was instead of starting and focusing on every single thing in each chapter and like going one chapter at a time, focus on one thing for the entire book. Yeah. That way you don't get to like chapter five and then completely burn out because you're like, I've been doing this forever and then not going further. And then you're not dropping like important things that you need to be working on. Mm-hmm. So this means that you're going to be reading your book 8 million times. Yes. <laughs> but it also means that you're kind of layering each revision over itself and like really pulling the entire book together and you're not missing anything important and yeah, it all really comes together well.
0: Yeah, it does. I mean that's that's where I was where I was doing like a pass kind of for each main thing that I wanted to change um and in the midst of it it was difficult to see was any of this making a difference. And then once I finished that draft, that edited version and read the new draft, it was just like, oh yeah, this made a huge difference. Wow. <laughs> like this is such yeah. a big level up from one thing to another. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I I think too, there were so so much goodness in what you just said. And I want to call out a couple things as like my highlights, my takeaways. Um, that people can really remember or latch on the first thing that you said which is still so stuck in my head is that the average like dr- draft number like the average number of drafts that it takes to have a f- complete polished book is 10 that's awesome like that's that is a number that I think a lot of people don't know don't understand, don't put into perspective um because it really it does take a lot it takes a lot um, but, you have just described the the process. The framework um, is very much a, a flow of going from high level things to low level things, and each time that you're doing this process, you may be tackling different, you know, different things. Um, but it takes a lot of work to get it to that zone of feeling like this is this is it. It's polished. It's done. Um, and to get through each of those drafts, we can follow that framework of the. Um, I forget your first term. What was the first term of this framework? Conceptual. Revision. Conceptual. Okay. That's what I thought, but I didn't want to mistake. Okay. So we have conceptual, we have that really high level. Then we have structural, like, okay, let's look at how the story is functioning. And then we have um, the house furnishing. I love that part of the metaphor. Um, and that's where people get really trapped up. And they jump right there. They don't jump to like, you know, styling the perfect aesthetic. If your foundation is cracked, it doesn't make any sense.
1: (laughs) Yeah. How many times as an editor have you had someone come to you and they don't even know what the genre of their story is? And they're like, I'm ready to query. And you're like, well, we need to like put a container around this book so that we can sell it. Because that's kind of what our goal is that we don't think about a lot. But we have to be able to pitch the book so we can sell it. But yeah, this will really help Understand what you're actually writing before you jump into edits so that you're not changing it for the sake of changing it and turning it into something that it's not. Yeah. And then when we talk about like the 10 drafts, I really feel like I need to say this. Yeah. Stephen King will do three drafts. He's written how many books? Like a bajillion? 70,
0: like 80, 70, <laughs> 80, something like that. I mean, that's just published. That's not even like unpublished ones. Exactly. I don't know, a lot. <laughs>
1: And so he's kind of got it down to three drafts. And so when he's written all these books and still takes three drafts, like, yes, yes, it's going to take us a little bit longer.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Perspective, everybody. So important. (laughs) Get some. (laughs) This is important. Yeah. And we have such high expectations for ourselves and then tie that into the negativity bias that you are saying. And it's really easy to get tripped up into this process and then feel like you're a shitty writer or you need to quit or imposter syndrome is like has a chokehold on your brain or like perfectionism won't let you make a single step forward. Like all of these, all of these, um, mindset hurdles get triggered, um, throughout all the writing process, but they can get triggered in editing. If you don't have the perspective of like, this is a step-by-step process that takes time and that, um, you don't have to rush through and you can also like understand how it works, which will save you a lot of time and energy without like just spinning your wheels. Have you ever, have you ever seen the movie, My Cousin Vinny? I haven't. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Well, anyway, it's a great movie. Um, it's one of my favorite movies. I don't know if you know anything about it, but it's from you don't. Oh my god. Okay. So it's Joe Pesci is like a lawyer who is going down to Alabama to um his nephew has been arrested for murder but didn't commit the crime. And so he's like he's never won a case. He's a terrible lawyer. And so he goes to Alabama to like get his nephew out of prison in a murder case and it's his first like lawyer case it's really funny and marissa tomei is the uh, like romantic interest she's really funny she's um joe pesci's fiance anyway long story short <laughs> this is not singular to this movie but it does describe it's a point in the movie how in alabama when your tires get stuck like when your car gets stuck in the mud um like one wheel will spin and the other will do nothing, and so the car doesn't go anywhere. And that's, like, an a important plot point of the movie. But that's <laughs> what part. editing feels like. This is my <laughs> metaphor, is that you're stuck in the mud, one tire's spinning, one's doing nothing, and so you're not going anywhere.
1: <laughs> that's a perfect metaphor for this. Absolutely. <laughs> and then you're just like, am I even making it better or yeah. just different? Is, like... What is the point of all of this? Why did I just waste 12 years doing this for a book that I can't even wrap my head around? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay. So we've talked about our framework and by following this framework that you teach in revisions alchemy, we can sidestep a lot of these, you know, roadblocks that we see our students, we see writers like run into Um, what other strategies or techniques do you um, suggest writers employ to make this whole process more objective, less draining? Um, I we've kind of I feel like we've kind of already touched on some of this, but what else are we thinking of, like making self-editing not feel like spinning your wheels in the mud?
1: Yeah, I think we talked about the big ones. Um, to like zoom out a little bit, I kind of wanted to touch on this, but you know how we. You probably hear this a lot, too, but writers will say that they don't want to be influenced so they won't read other books in their genre. Yes. And so (laughs) to that, I say, please read in your genre. (laughs) But also, like, art doesn't exist in a vacuum. We have to take what comes before and find ways to subvert or surprise the reader in new and exciting ways. We don't want to write the same book as someone else so we need to read what comes before us so we don't accidentally do that if you follow elizabeth gilbert at all she has this like concept where like ideas are just floating around and you can just kind of like brush someone's shoulder and like pass off an idea (laughs) and i love it it's so woo but it's so real because like there's more than one person kind of writing the same idea at the same time because we're all existing in the same world. Mm -hmm. Yes, the way you write it is going to be a little bit different, but like, how different we need to make sure that your book kind of stands out a lot more. And then another thing that I want to add is like, follow your own process. Don't do something that someone else tells you to do even me and Rachel, because we're telling you to do it like experiment and whatnot. But like the biggest example I have of this is everybody tells you not to revise while you write. And like, we've talked about how I literally hate drafting. Yeah. (laughs) So like the only way that I'm going to get through a draft is when I revise while I write. Mm -hmm. If I follow that advice, I'll never finish a book ever. Yeah. So I even trick myself where I'll like leave myself like voice notes. What am I doing? Like voice to text. I'll kind of like outline a scene really fast. And then I can go in there with my, my fingers and I can be like, okay, Now we'll flush this out a little bit. And then I kind of literally will sit there for a while until I have like a decent scene before I can move on. Whereas if I had followed that advice, like I would have never gotten further. Mm -hmm. So I feel like just knowing that you're allowed to experiment is like such a big help. So just like if you take anything from today, like experiment is what I would like to leave with you and like take what works, leave what doesn't. Absolutely. Like, there's no reason to argue and be like, well, that's not going to work for me. Just give it a try first, mm-hmm. see what happens. And then if it works, it works. If it doesn't, try something else. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, that's one of my honestly like favorite takeaways of one on one coaching. I mean, I, I, I know we're talking about self editing, but anyway, I think just in general, writers, listeners, my friends who are listening to this right now, um, there is a lot of advice on the internet that is prescribed as like, this is the this is the answer for you. This is your answer. Just do it and you'll be great. And you'll fix all your problems. Perfect. And then it doesn't work great or it works great for like a week and then it doesn't work great. And then you're kind of lost again. Then you go back to the internet and you're like, okay, let me find another answer. And in our, in kind of all of the work that we try to do it golden may we are giving options but we're also trying to teach like the the genre expectations the frameworks the the general structure because there's so many different ways to navigate within within those frameworks so let's take the self editing framework There are a thousand different ways that you can evaluate your manuscript for how well your story point message is coming across. And there's all sorts of notes that you might leave that like I might take in notion while someone else might be like, no, I can't take any notes at all. It's just going to hamstring my process. And someone else might be like, no, I need to to talk this out with somebody. I need a writing buddy. I need to brainstorm exactly what this is, and then I can take away something from it. Like the execution is – Unlimited. There's so many different ways, but the framework still remains the same. Of like to save yourself time and energy, and to have the most effective self-editing process, we still follow the framework, but it can look entirely different for me than it can for you, Tiffany, and for the the writers that we work with. So I mentioned one on one coaching because so much of what we do is like experimenting and figuring it out to find the process because that's just that's just part of it. Everybody has to do it. Everybody has to find the process that works for them and that you know is able to help you overcome when perfectionism starts rearing its little head. And for me, that means I need to complain about revisions to my friends because they get it. <laughs> and then I can like, okay, I had a minute of telling everybody how much I want to publish my first draft because <laughs> I don't want to do this. And then cool, I feel better now. Uh, but for someone else, it's going to look different. Um, So yes, please take what Tiffany is saying to heart and explore, experiment, iterate. Um, That's my big word. It's been my big word and I say it a lot, but like, my process feels like it's constantly changing because I'm constantly experimenting and iterating on it and not something that works for me now, like might not work for me in four months when my life feels different, you know? So we're just always trying new things.
1: Yeah. A big thing with that is that our brains are like really smart Mm -hmm. and if something's working, our brain's going to find a way to make it not work anymore. (laughs) And it all, like we could spend a whole entire hour, year, lifetime talking about this, but Let's, let's just dive in. Okay, so yeah. rejection um, feels the same way in our body that actual physical pain, like if you break your leg, the chemical reaction in your body is the same as when you get a rejection. And so we are putting our heart and souls onto the page when we write a book, and the idea of someone reading it and rejecting us or saying anything remotely mean or anything that's just not, this is the best thing I've ever read. Mm -hmm. It makes us like seize up completely. Mm -hmm. And so our brain is going to be like, how can I stop that from happening? Oh, this is what you found a process that works for you. It's not going to work anymore. (laughs) So like you have to constantly keep like, changing the process this is why writers who have written like five to ten books will be like I don't know how to write a book like every time I sit down to write a book it's not the same as it was last time because it's constantly changing and a big reason for that is all this mindset stuff um I'm so excited. Rachel and I are going to be talking all about mindset this weekend in a big day-long yes. workshop. But the reason we're spending a whole day talking about it is because there's just, like, so much to talk about. And it yeah. all ties in to, like, staying consistent and actually being able to finish and follow through and not give up. Because it's freaking hard. It's painful. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: It is. It's painful to go to – it. I I get the same, even if someone else is not rejecting me. I get the same feeling when I read it and then reject myself of like reading that first draft and being like, this is the shittiest thing I've ever seen. I joked about this when I, to our tenacious writing community, when I wrote this last draft, the first draft, I was like, this is the best thing I've ever written. This is, this is brilliant. This is amazing. And I finished it and I reread it and I was like, this is terrible. this is the worst thing ever
1: (laughs) I have started tricking myself and where when I finish it I'll like let my body feel like oh this isn't the best but I'll tell myself I'll be like this is amazing I'm an amazing writer and then my brain's like yeah we're amazing and then it just makes me want to show up more so like lie to yourself as much as you need to that whole fake it till you make it thing it's very so true. true we need that and then if you yeah. can't do it to yourself, you have to get a hype friend, a critique partner yeah. or just I have a friend who when I finish writing something, I send it to her. She's not a writer. So that helps a little bit. But she just literally says like, more. I want the next bit, please. And then one day she made me panic because she was like, it's actually like really sounding like a book. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> none of that. never <laughs> say that again. I just need you to be just like, I want the next bit. This is yeah. amazing. <laughs> I love that. I absolutely, I one hundred percent agree.
0: I think that's the best thing that you can do for any part of the writing process: is have a hype buddy, a writing partner, someone who can just constantly. This is amazing. I love it. This is so cool. And like, yeah, I I completely agree with you that fake it till you make it is true. But like, what you're doing is building a little bit of self trust. Like, you're every single time, it's. You are faking yourself into confidence and then it's real. So like you don't need to have – this is what people get wrong about confidence is that suddenly you need to be validated and then you're confident. Like no, no, no. You just need to choose to
1: trust yourself. Yeah, that confidence, confidence is not some big thing that you just wait for. you yeah. don't get confident until you actually do the thing and prove to yourself that you can do it and then the confidence comes
0: and then the confidence comes. so like every single time that you're faking it or every single time you're telling yourself, oh, this is great like I can do this. Oh my gosh, I'm showing up this is great. Wow you're building that little bit of self-trust in yourself you're building the belief and one day it turns into confidence and you're like, wow, I've just proved to myself that I can do it. Oh my gosh. Nobody just all of a sudden gives me a badge that's like, you can be confident now. That's not how it works. You just are like, oh, wow, I've proven it. Huh.
1: That's cool. Exactly. <laughs> I um have a very crazy story. When I... I feel like it dates back before this, but when I was in college, I took a speech class like you do. Um, and I did it at seven o'clock in the morning or eight o'clock in the morning. I think eight o'clock is probably when it started. And my first speech, like I finish, I like didn't look at the class the whole time. And then I like finished, I'm like looking down at my paper and then I just run from the podium. <laughs> and I feel like before this, I like had to speak in front of like a small group and I like burst into tears. So like public speaking is one of like, was one of my biggest fears it's not even a fear anymore and so like a way I got around it was in college I became a tour guide where I had to talk in front of groups of people and I went to college at Flagler College in St. Augustine it is in this beautiful hotel that's very historical we had hundreds of people coming through a day and sometimes my group would be like 50 to like 80 people And I'm not a loud person and I didn't have a microphone. So I'd have to like scream to be heard. And, and I'm like, at some point I started just saying like, if you need to hear me, just come stand next to me. (laughs) Like you're just here for the views. Cause I can't talk that loud, but like, I sort of just made it like, what is it? Like exposure therapy. Like I just Uh did the thing over and over again until it became second nature. And like, now I'm like terrified, but I've, like, learned how to make it so I don't sound terrified. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. Oh, I totally understand. I used to work in customer service, and I have – I don't know if you get this, listeners, from the work that I do, but I have, like, very intense social anxiety, and I don't like being in around groups of people. Um, this, I, actually, last night, we were at the mall taking pictures with Mall Santa, and I needed to ask, like, the attendant lady like a question about a reservation and I couldn't do it my husband was like just ask her and I was like I don't want to bother her she's just doing her job and he was like she's just standing there this is her job ask her like I'm not gonna you anyway that's my social anxiety so my husband asked her the question for me but um when I worked in customer service like you you it was very stressful and Like you are involved with lots of people all the time. Um, So that was my first kind of exposure therapy was talking to people over the phone for customer support. And then I at my next job taught um, mandatory compliance training. So I did lots of health and safety trainings and it used to terrify me. Um, cause they were like three hour trainings. It was boring as fuck. Like everybody hated it, but I had to do it for my job. So I would put on safety gear. Like I bought like a reflective vest. I would put on a helmet and safety goggles and I started thinking of it as like a performance and I was just, it wasn't me. I was just the teacher performing. And so that got me through like four years of health and safety trainings and then one day someone asked me, they were like, how are you so confident doing this? And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not just showing up. We're just doing it because that's how it works. You just got to do it and then it feels better and it's not as scary and you get through it. And then you look back and you're like, holy cow, look at all that I accomplished because I didn't let fear hold me back.
1: Yeah. And if it it Beyonce big. can have Sasha Fierce, Heck yeah. then we can have our persona. Yeah, mine's Sawyer, and she's way more badass than me. Her pronouns aren't even she/her. They are more badass (laughs) than me. Um, But yes, like creating a a persona to like get you through writing a book is such a good idea, and I think we should all have them. And especially because when the book finishes, like that's not it. So many people will say like, my dream is to get my book on the shelf. What after that, like? (laughs) (laughs) So being a writer and author is you have to promote your book. You have to do school visits if you're if you write for kids. Book readings, all of that. Like having a persona to help get you through that is just such a little handy tool, a
0: little hack. There's your yeah. technique for the day is make a persona <laughs> that you can just say, "Oh, well, this version of Rachel, this version of Tiffany Sawyer, they can show up and do this editing today." Um they're they're not me. They're just figuring it out as they go. They're not worried. Duh. Exactly. <laughs> like, perfect. Let's do exactly. that. Give that a try. Um, what else? What other techniques and practice if we pull this back to self- editing? <laughs> we had like a low mindset uh, tangent, which is very important, very helpful. Um, what other practices can we use to help ensure that that core message, the emotional pull of our story? remain strong and intact and that we're not like losing sight of the story that we're telling because we're getting so like in the weeds with all these changes.
1: Yeah. I think the biggest thing that will help is understanding what your book is about and what you're trying to, to say. And I know that everyone tells me like, I just want to entertain. And I'm like, that is the sole job of a book like that's not your job to make it entertaining like the book is supposed to do that on its own so like what else are you trying to say what is and i know when we say message it can kind of feel a little bit like um aesops fables like we're trying to like preachy some, some preachy <laughs> message but it's very subtle the yeah. writer the reader doesn't pick up on it um but just understanding that before you kind of dive in to the editing process is going to help so a way to do this that i found really helpful is to kind of create a pitch Mm -hmm. and i know that distilling your entire book into a sentence (laughs) makes you want to run the other way but i'm going to walk you through it and give you an example so (laughs) um first i like to start with what i call like a what if concept yeah and i want to talk about why it's important not only does it set the stage for the entire book It's the initial spark of inspiration that captures your imagination and the reader's interest. And a well-developed concept provides clear direction for the story, helps you understand its unique identity so that you can shape it through multiple revisions. And it also is your guiding star to kind of keep you on on track. Like Think of it as like your north star as you're revising is this little one-line pitch. Okay. And one thing I want to point out is that Because a lot of us are discovery writers and we don't like outlining. That's like a big taboo word. Um, We don't like to think of this until like deep into revisions, if at all. (laughs) Like we said earlier, like so many people come to us and they don't know what their book genre is, for example. Uh So like waiting this long isn't necessarily the wrong way to write, but it does mean that we have more rounds of revision to go through. So I will never, ever start a book without knowing what my concept is ever again um, because Mm -hmm. I've found it to be so helpful. So the what if concept is like the scenario or core theme that the narrative revolves around. It is the seed from which the plot characters and themes grow. And then we're going to turn that into a high concept. And this is a concise and attention-grabbing pitch. It's a brief one-sentence description that encapsulates the essence of the book in a way that's intriguing marketable and easy to understand. It's going to help when you want to sell the book. When you write a good one, your agent literally uses your pitch Mm -hmm. to pitch it to publishers. It's what the back copy of the book kind of uses too. So if we look at an example, I picked The Cruel Prince by Holly Black. And I picked this because there are so many fairy books and they're so popular right now. And uh, We're going to talk about what makes this book stand out and why they were able to, why Holly was able to get it published. So, the what if concept might look something like What if a mortal girl witnesses the murder of her parents and is taken to live in the treacherous fairy realm where she must navigate the intricacies of fairy politics, deal with the constant threat of danger, and find her own place of power within a world where everyone is vying for control? A little bit wordy because we're trying to throw a lot of stuff in there, but it's it's a big series. It has a lot of stuff happening. Yeah. So then we can distill that even further to, In a Fairy Realm, a mortal contends with political intrigue, dangers, and her own quest for power, becoming a pivotal force in the tumultuous struggle for control. So I'm going to pull out the Her Own Quest for Power. This mm-hmm. is this book's unique selling proposition, if we want to get super technical. Yeah. It's that unique angle. It's what makes it stand out from others. Fairy books are so incredibly popular, but Jude, the main character mm-hmm. of The Cool Prince, her thirst for, for a place in court is what drives the entire series. It's what has her making every decision that she makes throughout the entire series. So when you highlight what makes your book stand out from others just like it, it makes that emotional pull so much stronger. It also just makes it so grabby. We're always talking about it being like attention grabbing Mm -hmm. and whatnot. So I know that our listeners might be like, that's great. How do I write one? Um, (laughs) So start with that what if, get really big. Like if we look at the Hunger Games, I think that Suzanne Collins has talked about in interviews how she came up with the idea because she was like flipping looking at commercials and then she was like watching the news and there's a war and and then she was like okay how can i put these two ideas mm-hmm. together and and started with like a vague what if and then you yeah. get more specific and since when you're editing you've already have your kind of book now you're kind of pulling out like that what if yeah. what if a boy and a girl fall in love it could be vague then we get it more and more specific so a way to like keep an emotional pull intact. That's not even talking about the pitch necessarily. Harness your own obsessions and interests. Mm-hmm. What do you love about other books in this genre? What do you love in general? What gets you up? Yeah, in the morning or whenever <laughs> you're waking up. And then how can you challenge stereotypes? Flip tropes on their head. Explore your own culture and unique view of the world. I am bisexual and my characters are all bisexual and Mm -hmm. I write about how they in like I'm getting all tight tongue tied (laughs) (laughs) I write about how they exist in a world where they're you know alienated on all sides don't Mm -hmm. fit in the straight community don't fit in the queer community so many like vague <laughs> assumptions are made about people who are bisexual. And I think this is something that I deeply care about and other people deeply care about. And I'm going to explore that in my books. So find what you deeply care about and put that in your books. And it that specificity is what helps make it more interesting and exciting. Yes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then we use this this specificity. We use this work that you're doing in this exercise to guide the framework to guide these conceptual changes through the structural changes all the way down to um what's the last terminology i'm still picturing it as like furnishing the house
1: (laughs) yeah it's conceptual structural and stylistic stylistic stylistic
0: love it um yeah so we can if you're still like uh, I don't, you know, I finished this draft and I don't quite know what is all the things that I care about. What is all, what, you know, what's my grabby hook? What's, how do I stand apart? This is very important to do. And you do not have to be, I don't think Tiffany is saying you must be the most original thought ever that out there happened. Like that's not there what is this no is. such exactly. thing as originality. Exactly. Um, But what the, the, it's the heart, it's your heart behind the story that like is what's going to make it start to shine. Um, Yeah.
1: I like to think of it as authenticity. Like what makes you authentic and what makes people like you or make you like yourself? Or if none of those feel good, then like what makes you different than the person next to you? Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So how
0: do we bring your authentic nature as the author to this story, to the heart of the story? And make sure that you're pulling yourself through it. This is a – we talk about a lot how writing is most effective when like it's pieces of yourself. It's catharsis. It's exploration. It's like understanding the nature of human beings starting with you. Like (laughs) um, that's when I think stories become really powerful. And that's when they start to stand apart from the others in their genre even if the content is like pretty similar
1: the heart's gonna be different because authors, people are individual. Exactly. And what you care about is different from what I care about. Like your yeah. mom. Yeah. I'm a cat mom. Is <laughs> so a little bit different? <laughs> close, it's close.
0: <laughs> I joked about this with someone else. Parents don't come for me. Like raising a puppy is kind of similar. I mean, it's they're not like really, like obviously, but having like a tiny little thing that's dependent on you for everything, it's kind of similar.
1: <laughs> also, you can't leave alone for a long time and you constantly have to come home and like restructure your whole life. Yes. Like it's pretty similar. Yes.
0: And like they don't sleep a lot either. So like you have some, you have parallels. I'm not going to say they don't exist. They exist.
1: <laughs> you said it, not me. I know. Don't come
0: at me in our emails. <laughs> Just leave it. It's fine. <laughs> okay. I love this. This has been such a great, this has been such a great discussion. Um, This is, it can be a lot. This can be a lot. This process can be a lot, but I know you mentioned your revisions alchemy um, course. So I want to hear more about that. Tell us about just your resources and how you can help someone go through this process so that they don't feel, you know, just completely overwhelmed that they can follow this framework and all the ways that you can support someone through self-editing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I call it a course, but it's really – let's call it a program. A A program. It's a program. So it's like course meets community meets coaching because you get access to me. So I call it a 12-week kind of self-guided course. And at the core, that's what it is for fiction and memoir writers who want to edit their book. And then uh, aside from the actual material – You get access to me in a Slack community where you can ask questions. You can ask the group questions because other writers are also geniuses and they can help too.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, share ideas and and all the things, right? And then we meet monthly, forever. And eventually, it'll probably stop. But right now, (laughs) Indefinitely. And we have themed um, kind of coaching sessions where we'll kind of go through a topic like we just talked about dialogue last time and talked about how to write like really engaging, great, authentic dialogue. And that's not necessarily in the course, but it's something that is really important when you're editing. So we tackled that. And so I have all of these um, kind of recorded that you can watch uh, as you want, if you want. Um, But yeah, I kind of set it up to walk you through how to do it. And then each kind of week, we have one topic. So it starts with kind of best practices for how to edit, kind of a little bit of what we talked about today, Mm -hmm. go a little bit deeper than that. And then narrative distance and tone and mood and genre and audience expectations and just each kind of section of each of my three stages of the editing process we go through. And I give homework if you want. You never have to do anything right. But I'm just like, here's what would make this work really well for you if you did this homework. Yeah. And I have workbooks. <laughs> and then I have a lot of like resources in the resource library kind of with extra help if you need it. Um I tried really hard to give you a lot of resources and information without making it overwhelming. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I know everybody's threshold for overwhelm is different. So obviously, maybe it will feel a little overwhelming at first. But people come to me all the time and they're like, what should I be working on right now? Here's where, where I'm at. And I can kind of guide and help in that way too. I think the biggest help with this is that like, there is that community and we're all rooting for each other. We're always in there being like, I cannot wait for you to finish this book. Like, I want my hands on it right now. Chop, chop. Yeah. (laughs) But for the most part, like, you kind of get in the program what you take out of it or put in, Mm -hmm. pick out what you put in. Yeah. Set it backwards. (laughs) Awesome.
0: I love it. I love how much you have – you've put so much effort into this program to – um, guide people but hold their hand in like a very good way because like yeah. you just said with any type of I think writing program including our own like tenacious writing the writer gets the most effect when they put in the effort but I think you've done a great job of making it really easy to put that effort in so you you've got workbooks and you've got it guided and you've got everything accessible to ask questions or to reach out for help and um that's when that's when I see people succeed with programs like this because I think a self-guided course is great. you know we've we've sold them, we've had you know we've had them. Um, but that also means that it's self-guided. So if you're not going to put in the effort, you're not going to get the stuff out of it. But I think with revisions Alchemy, you've done such a good job of giving scaffolding to your students. To um, go through this process, go through this framework with the support of people around them, and that's where success comes from. Um, that's where you get your hype buddy. That's where you get your, you know, when you're about to have a little breakdown, just pop into the Slack, and you're like, oh my god, I don't know what to do. Tiffany, help me. And Tiffany's yep. like, do this. And you're like, ah, <laughs> oh, relief. So I love it. Now, how how do people get access to that? I will put a link in the show notes. So that's a that's actually a question that I'll ask myself. <laughs> There's there will be yeah. a link for revisions alchemy in the show notes.
1: But um what's your website? So design and and that's B-U-R-G-E-O-N, Design and Editorial. Uh, and yeah, um I do want to backtrack for just a second because you're talking about how like self-guided courses how many times have you like t- done a self-guided course where you just didn't finish it? Cause you're like, yeah. I have all the time in the world to finish this. Yeah. So I'm like that too. And so we're doing watch parties now where we all get together on a zoom and then we go watch whatever module we're on and then we can come back and talk about it or share our progress and stuff like that. Um, and obviously all, everything is completely optional. So if you're like, Oh, I hate people. You don't have to do that. <laughs> but if you do like people, it's really fun. Love
0: it. I love it. But it's such a great way for like easy accountability of like, okay, let's all show up together. Um, But also I'm not going to like, this isn't, you're not nagging them. You're not like,
1: you you have to create it or
0: anything. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So we're going to put a link for Tiffany's website and um, the Revisions Alchemy course in our show notes. And I also think Tiffany has a special little discount offer for listeners.
1: Is that right? Yes. If you use the code STORYMAGIC, then you get $500 off of Revision Alchemy. That's awesome.
0: That's so cool. So if you are listening right now, swipe up, tap that link for Revision Alchemy, and then use code STORYMAGIC to get $500 off.
1: That's awesome. Thank you, Tiffany. Yeah, of course. I want to make it as easy of a yes as possible. Yes, I love that.
0: And I know for sure that your students get so much value out of this course. Um, make the magic happen. We all know revisions are where the magic happen. So if this is something you're struggling with, revisions alchemy is absolutely the program that you need to get started to go I'm through such it.
1: Like a, a nosy, involved person that I can't like help you <laughs> and then be out of your life forever. Like I want to be in your life for literally ever and help you every step of the way. So. Roses and Alchemy is so cool because I had to just be a fly on the wall and nice. everybody's like – we have a channel for wins and everybody shares like when they get published and whatever they're working on. And it's just so exciting because we get to all cheer each other on.
0: I love that. Uh, I, I think that's also what makes you such a great coach. I mean just – this is an aside. That's what makes gr- – Great coach is great. Because I'm the same way where I'm just like, oh, I'm in your life now. haha. ha best you get friends. Rid of me. Now, right? <laughs> We're best friends. What's your address so I can send you a Christmas gift?
1: <laughs> Literally, I just was like, okay, everybody, give me your address if you want a Christmas card. <laughs> or just a exactly. holiday card. But yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. I love it.
0: Okay. Do we have any final thoughts um, about self-editing
1: before we wrap up? I'm sure there's a billion. But if you take away one thing from today, just know that you kind of talked about this a little bit with like coaching. We're never going to tell you what to do. Our whole purpose on this planet, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. so so true, <laughs> um, is to kind of guide and ask questions and help you make the right decisions for you and your book and your life. So like you're, you're in control. Mm-hmm. As scary as that is, it's all up to you. So do it.
0: (laughs) I love it. You're in control. So make it happen now. But like, you can do this. That's you can do this. It's possible. We can do it together. We can get through it together. Um, And that's why we have so many amazing resources available to help you through it. Exactly.
1: And if you want to follow me on Instagram at Burgeon design and editorial, You can DM me, ask questions, uh, see if it's right for you. That's totally fine. I love chatting with people because sometimes I'm like, actually, no, you should do this instead because I'm never going to try to get you to do something that doesn't make sense for you. Right. Exactly.
0: Amazing. Alrighty. Well, don't forget to check out the show notes. We're going to have links in there for Revisions Alchemy. Get on Tiffany's newsletter. If you do nothing else get on Tiffany's newsletter because it's awesome. And there's always amazing content um, in there. We'll put a link there and then um, go follow Tiffany at Virgin Design and Editorial on Instagram. So we'll also have that link in the show notes. Thank you so much, Tiffany, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It was so much fun. If you want to build a successful, fulfilling, and sustainable writing life that works for you, you've got to get on our email list. Sign up now to get our free email course, The Magic of Character Arts. After seven days of email magic, You'll have the power to keep your readers flipping pages all through the night. Link in the show notes. We'll see you there. Bye.